Hello. Hi. Welcome to Drinking the Kool-Aid. Welcome. I'm Megs. I'm Hannah. And today we have our part two of Hannah's story. Yes, we do. On the Radium Girls. Oh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose we should say that part, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, And then uh, for this one, I read the book Radium Girls by Kate Moore. And this feels really freaking weird saying this because I'm just so used to you saying it. It okay. throws me off. Oh, I suppose I, oh, oh, I have to do the recap, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's all up to me on this one. Okay. Uh, so recap of the first episode. Um, Basically, we talked about how there were factories being built in the U.S. that uh, were making, or not, well, girls were being hired and they were making watches and all sorts of luminescent things for soldiers during the war so that they didn't have to shine flashlights and be, you know, let their uh, location be known. And um, we had made it through the first death and we talked a whole lot about radium. <laughs> And uh, now we get to talk a whole lot about it more, and hopefully I don't confuse anybody, and just let me know if anything starts throwing you off, Megan. I will. Okay. <laughs> so basically, there were these girls, and they oh. wanted to glow, and so they were putting the radium all over themselves, including in their mouths and on their teeth, and everybody wanted to be just like them because it looked so cool. And then they were having parties where they were painting each other, like in the back room with all the radium. And then people were getting sick and some girl's jaw fell off. Megan, did you just take my role yeah. of shortening the the freaking thing in the, the beginning, the recap? Well, yeah. I mean, if we're trading on everything here, I feel like it's only fair. I'm so proud of you for that one. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that was good. That's the recap. That was good. Now on to the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Thank you. Okay. So I had mentioned right before uh, that there was somebody named George Willis. And I was like, oh, you're not going to like him. We're going to come back to him. Yes. Yeah, we're back to him. Oh. <laughs> so... He was the co-founder uh, co of the Orange County factory. Um, he had gotten so sick that he had to have his right thumb amputated because he had carried tubes of radium in his bare hands for years. Mm. He'd been driven out of the company and it was getting worse and worse, obviously. Um, by September, he had to have his right thumb amputated due to it being riddled with cancer. He published an article about it, basically saying that like not enough um, people exposed to radium for long periods of time, uh, daily for years, like, to realize the effects might not be so good after all. Like, he's mm. like, maybe, maybe it's not a good idea that these girls and myself have been exposed to it, but, you know, we're not sure yet. Because, like, in the first one, weren't you saying that he was denying the claims? Oh, yeah, and just wait, like, it, it he... Very much so does. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, yeah. okay. I thought maybe he had turned a corner here, but all uh, right. Not necessarily. Not so much. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe when you lose a thumb, it opens your eyes a little bit, but. He was like, maybe for me, I shouldn't have been around it, but right. the girls. 
That's fine. Honest to God, that is a common theme in this story. I'm not going to lie. Fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so his, like, article that he had published was completely ignored because, again, there was too much, like, good surrounding the radium situation, as you've heard. Um... So Irene, who was cousins with Catherine Schwab, had originally or had already been suffering with problems in her feet. Now she was struggling with major problems in her mouth. And as you can see, that's a common theme also here. Okay. Um, this unfortunately led her to quit her current job at the corset factory in May because her condition had gotten so bad. Um, it had made it super difficult to keep up with her medical bills. Her dentist, Dr. Barry, and his partner, Dr. James Davidson, were doing their best to treat her, but unfortunately, her condition only worsened. Um, Can you guess where this is going? Is she going to lose her jaw? Yeah, more teeth and bone were removed from her mouth. Okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Unfortunately, this seems to big like be one of the biggest things that it attacks. Well, yeah, because they were putting the paint in their right. mouths with that whole lip dip and thing. And literally putting it on their teeth and like yeah. on their lips. And it's it a lot of the girls get taken down by which is just awful because I can't handle sores in my mouth at all. So like I can't even imagine losing parts of your freaking jaw. No. And uh, uh yeah, no. So even being, like, across from the library, they couldn't find anything close enough to what she was experiencing because they were trying to figure out, like, what the shit is happening, you know, because they just have so little experience when it comes to anything like this. And they're still thinking it's, like, Fossey Jaw, which we talked about in the first episode, mm-hmm. um, which obviously not, but that's the closest thing they've been able to come up with to it. In November, Dr. Barry uh, examined her again, only to find more disease and Dr. James Davidson had a lot of experience with this Fosse jaw, so they became convinced that's what it was. They were like, done deal, this is it. Okay, so not an STI. Right, not this time. <laughs> it's Fosse jaw. So they, of course, questioned her about working with phosphorus, but she said she didn't work with it either. So now she's, you know, the second person to be like, I did not work with phosphorus. Mm-hmm. They chalked it up to that anyways and treated her as so because they clearly listened very well. <laughs> in December, she went downhill, became super pale, anemic, and had to be um, admitted to the hospital. But now she had heard um, about Molly. So Molly was the one that we had first talked about that passed away. Okay. Um, She had heard about Molly through the network of the girls and people gossiping said that it was syphilis. But this didn't sound right to Irene because she had, like, almost the exact same symptoms to a T. Like, they were matching perfectly with the mouth, them thinking it was the Fosse jaw, everything. hmm So she told her doctor, like, homie, I'm not the only one here that's happening, you know, having this problem. And Molly had died only a few months prior to this. Uh, she also mentioned there was another girl that was sick, and her name was Hazel Vincent. She had left USRC, but since then, she had been um, diagnosed with anemia, back to the pyorrhea again. Okay. And possibly Fossy Jaw, because she had ugh, she had garlic-smelling black discharge coming from her mouth and nose. What? I know. Okay. I know. 
And I'm sorry. <sighs> I've never heard of something like that. Yeah. And as you can see, this there's very common things that each doctor or dentist thinks that like they all have. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case as we know now. But it's like only some of the symptoms matched up with it, not all of them. And again, they didn't know anything about radium poisoning at the time, but it's just so frustrating hearing it and being like, son of a bitch, like, I know you don't know what it is, but there is clearly something happening here. There is a pattern. There's more than one girl going down at this point. And some really awful, like, mortifying things are happening. Oh, I know. None of, none of these symptoms are just, like, mild. Everything they have to deal with is just atrocious. Yeah. So, um, Irene had discussed this with her doctor at the hospital, Dr. Allen, He heard her out and decided this was all too coincidental, thank God. So, you know, it must be an occupational problem. On December 26th of 1922, he reported to the Industrial Hygiene Division that Irene had a case of phosphorus poisoning, and he asked them to look into it further, which they actually did do. And only days later, they sent an inspector to the plant to investigate the allegations. He was escorted around by a vice president of the company, Harold Vitt. The inspector said that he questioned Harold about the lip, you know, lip dip um, point method. Mm-hmm. And, and I quote, he has warned the girls time and time again of the dangerous practice, but he could not get them to stop it. Oh, good grief. That's what he fucking told them. What an asshole. Are you kidding me? So then he, like, is basically saying, I know that it's really bad for them, so I'm covering it up. Exactly what he's saying. What a piece of shit. That is 100 freaking percent what he is saying. Like, to be okay with harming somebody like that? Right. That's disgusting. Right. Completely, completely, completely agree. So at the end of the inspection, a paint sample was taken and sent to the deputy commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Labor, an additional inspection took place by Lillian, oh boy, I forgot how to say this one, Ers- I think it's Erskine. I like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who sent her fi- findings off to the same person at the end of January. She talked with someone higher up and she told the deputy commissioner that, quote, no reports of necrosed bones as a result of radium treatment exist. And, quote, the case Irene Rudolph and the reported second case Hazel Vincent are probably accidental coincidence resulting from abscessed teeth and incompetent dental surgery. Oh, sure. So we're just going to pass the blame. Yes. We're going to try to throw that on somebody else. And then we're just going to say, nah, it's a coincidence anyways. That's a pretty interesting coincidence. I have to agree. <laughs> the deputy commissioner was like... Nah, fuck you. And got it tested by a chemist. Dr. Good. Yeah. And Jesus, these names are so hard to say. Okay. I'm, this one. Just do your best. You know what? This one, I'm not even going to try. Okay. <laughs> this one, I'm just going to spell? spell for you guys. Cool. <laughs> so it got tested by a chemist, Dr. Martin. Uh, S-Z-A-M-A-T-O-L-O-S-K-I. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's probably like... Zamoltoski. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> well, we're going to roll with that. Uh, I love how you gave it an accent. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Me and that uh, Google pronunciation, we're besties now. It's honestly my favorite thing. I can't get enough of it. So um, he did not believe that phosphorus was going to be in it and very quickly concluded that the radium was very seriously affecting their jaws. He wouldn't know this for sure yet because the tests would take a while, but he warned that getting it on your skin, you know, or anywhere on you could be dangerous. But there was so much positives about radium still that he went unheard. Mm -hmm. So April 6th, 1923, his test concluded and he once again said that he was pretty positive that radium was causing issues. And yes, the Department of Labor most definitely saw both this report and the one from the original inspector. And they did absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, okay. That's great. This is I'm t- when I said that this story is going to make you kind of want to rip your hair out by the end. This is what I was talking about. Yeah. We get to do this little merry-go-round constantly. Okay. On July 15th, 1923, at just 21 years old and a day after being admitted to the hospital, Irene passed away. Her death certificate said her cause of death was related to work and most likely phosphorus poisoning. Hmm. Okay, so um now we're on to Marguerite who in October 1923, got a toothache. Hmm. Oh, it's a coincidence, I'm where, sure. <laughs> where could this be going? I can't figure it out. Tell me more. November 17th, she went to see Dr. Barry, who we know this name. Yep. Uh, you know, he had also seen Irene. He removed two teeth and noted that she worked at the radium plant. She had to go back several times that month, the whole time thinking about Irene. After dropping a ton of weight due to not being able to eat, she walked out of work on December 24th, having no idea that it would be her last day working there entirely. That very same night, she went to a dentist to get two teeth removed that had really been, like, bugging her. And as they were being removed, can you guess where this is going? Is she going to lose her jaw? A piece of her jawbone went with them. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know, dude. It's, it's, yeah. It's, the jaw it's thing is so gnarly. I know it is. It, 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 like, there's not many things that really, really get me, but losing actual pieces of your jaw. Yeah. I can't. She did say that the lip pointing had stopped temporarily in 1923 Mm -hmm. but it was only for a very short period of time and the company's reasoning was that the girl's spit was spoiling the adhesive oh okay so it had nothing to do with actually protecting the girls (laughs) correct Correct. Uh uh-huh yeah no they don't give a single shit about any of them clearly yeah so on january 19th The Smith sisters, Catherine Schwab, and Marguerite held a meeting at Dr. Barry's office. Everyone agreed that something was very clearly going on at work, and they discussed what they were going to do in this situation because, like, none of them know what the hell they're doing. You have to remember, they're all, like, girls. They're very, very young. Yeah. None of them are older and know, you know, have any type of life experience that would help them get through something like this. Mm Mm-hmm. At this point, um, Dr. Barry had decided to stop operating on any of the girls whatsoever, which was probably for the best. Uh, He could only sit back and observe. And it's unfortunate, but it's like every time he's operating, he's losing pieces of people's jaws. Like, there's, you know, you don't want to keep taking 
parts of it. Yeah, but like then you just let him sit there with all those awful toothaches and stuff. But the, it's either way, it's going to be achy because yeah, when you think of your about, jaw breaks. exactly. So it's like it's either you have these awful toothaches or he tries to remove the teeth and then part of your jaw comes out and it never heals. Oh my god. Okay, all of it sounds bad. So there's really no winning for him or anybody involved and he's just like I can't do this anymore because what do I do when everybody's freaking jaws are falling off? Right. So, you know, and I'm not saying that like he didn't try to bring in help because he did. Um, but most dentists at this point had completely given up on the girls because they were like well, nothing we can do. Peace out. Dr. Barry is really one of the very few people that was like, I'm going to keep chugging, at least observe, try to figure out what the hell is happening. It's so stupid, though, because it's it's like way past coincidence now, because now the dentist is saying like, hey, I can't even operate on any girl that comes from this line of work. Right. Okay, so there's obviously a problem with that line of work. Well, and not just him, because all the other dentists now have completely just dropped out. They're like, screw that, I'm not even working with it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it, and you know, like, it was not an easy decision for Dr. Barry. Um, But like I said, he realized as soon as he attempted to operate, the situation would only flare up and get worse from there. Um rendering surgery like the worst option because like especially because as he took some of the teeth that would cause it to flare up other places in the mouth Mm -hmm. so it's like literally no matter what he did trying to help them with their mouth situation there was just nothing yeah it's a lose-lose situation straight up um so in february of 1924 After an angry mother left a letter demanding compensation for her daughter, Hazel, it was reported to the New York headquarters, who were like, we are over the rumors at this point. We need to put them to rest. And so USRC executives launched an investigation. So in comes Cecil Drinker. Um, we actually like this one. (laughs) This is the name? Cecil Drinker? Yeah, his name is Cecil Drinker. Oh, I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Cecil worked with Harvard School of Public Health Facility along with members William Castle and his wife, Catherine Drinker. I mean, great last name. Sure. <laughs> While waiting for Cecil to come investigate the plant, um, Vitt had made a visit to Dr. Barry's office. Him and others were outraged by what they described as Vitt's cold-blooded attitude, because he is a cold-blooded asshole. Right. May 7th and 8th in 1924, while investigating the plant, Cecil was met with Marguerite, who could no longer, or who no longer worked at the factory even, but she was there that day. He immediately could tell she was very sick from all the way across the room. He had noted that one of the chemists had serious lesions on their hands, But when questioned about it, he blatantly ignored any possibility of it being a future issue. Okay. Yeah. And these chemists, like, I can't, I think I mentioned it later, but the, like, the chemists in the company were, like, way more protected than the girls were. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and still they were like, nah, nothing's happening here. It's all good. They were probably getting really good pay. They probably were. During his investigation, they also had a doctor in the studio who was doing examinations on the um, 25 selected employees. 
after the initial examination, they were brought to the dark room, stripped down, and examinated to see how much they were actually glowing on their skin and not on their clothes. So, you know, they wanted to, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they made them do that, but you see they're trying to see the difference between how much their clothes were actually glowing versus their skin glowing. Sure, like how much they themselves are actually soaking in. Correct, okay. yes. So, um, Catherine Drinker was there for some of this and recalls being shocked by how much they were actually glowing. Um, the drinkers had noted, quote, persisted on the skin even after multiple washes. Uh, keep the drinkers in mind because we will be coming back to them. All right. So with all of this going down, uh, an orange health officer saw a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of nothing. So she wrote to the executive secretary of the Consumers League, Catherine Wiley. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) So she was in charge of the New Jersey branch, and thankfully, a really smart and driven woman who not only started conducting her own investigation, but teamed up with Roach and was able to get a list of the woman who uh, had been affected thus far. So she met with Marguerite, and after. She wrote, quote, after seeing one of the victims, I can never rest until I have seen something done whereby I am assured it will not happen again. She continued to interview the girls and learned about Hazel's mom trying to get compensation as they could not afford to keep up with medical bills, which was a very common thing. It was very, 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 very hard for all of these girls' families and themselves to keep up with these medical bills. Um, Wiley had talked to a local judge trying to figure out what the heck they can do. She gets no answers she wants and, in fact, finds out a bunch of crap things and the judge tells her, quote, when radium poisoning is made a compen... Compen... <sighs> can I get this word out? No. Compensable... No. Why can I not say this word right now? Uh, quote, when radium poisoning is made a compensable disease, if ever, it would not be retroactive. So that, as far as these girls were concerned, nothing could be done. Wow. That's ridiculous. So as you can see, there's only very, very, very few people who are like, I'm on board. Clearly something is fucked up here. Let's do something about it. Right. The rest are just like, meh. And I mean, that's literally a judge. He's just like, meh. Well, sucks to suck because it's not considered, you know... How would it not be retroactive? I don't understand that. Because it wasn't actually a thing. I mean, I guess, but once it becomes an actual thing, you would think that it would be retroactive to anybody that had been there at that time. You sure would think that, wouldn't you? You would. Wow. (laughs) So the law compensating workers for on-the-job injuries or hazards was a decently new one, and it only covered nine really specific things. Which is already difficult to get around, but on top of that, there's a statute of limitations of only five freaking months. Oh. Mm -hmm. Meaning whatever sickness or illness the girls wanted to report would have had to be within five months of it happening or showing symptoms, which is obviously a problem, especially in this case where symptoms show up incredibly random, and when nobody believed that this even could be from the workplace. And as I've told you, most symptoms were very delayed and didn't start happening until a while after they were already there and had no idea that it was happening. 
So it's just a it's it's a recipe for disaster for everybody involved. Yeah. Nobody is able to get any type of help at this point. Okay. So both um Marguerite and Hazel's family had been looking for lawyers, but they couldn't find a, a single lawyer who would help without cash up front, of course. So as we know, the whole reason Hazel's family is seeking help is because they already can't afford to keep up on the health bills. So unfortunately, neither family had cash to pay up front for any type of lawyer. In May of 1924, Wiley took all her findings to the commissioner, um, Andrew McBride, of the Department of Labor. He, was he concerned for the girls at all after seeing this? What do you think? I'm going to say no. Hmm. How did you know? <laughs> there seems to be a theme going on here. No, instead, he was actually very pissed at the Consumers League had gotten involved in the situation at all. Well, yeah. Yeah, I because bet. why would he be concerned about the girls when he could just be pissed off that somebody actually tried to do something about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now the um, drinkers, you know, they had made that report, and they had sent it over in June, and Vit brought that to Roach, except he didn't give him the long report that the drinkers had actually wrote, he simply gave him a medical result table that showed the girl's blood was, quote, practically normal. Everyone agreed that they were basically back to square one. So, in reality, the drinker's report had mentioned that the factory was saturated in dust. There was no protection being used. He saw workers as young as 15. He noted that every inch of the workers glowed, quote, even the corsets. And he was convinced that the constant exposure was bad and causing problems. They included their hypothesis on what they actually thought was happening and um, inside the woman's bodies. And they had described it as just like calcium, which we had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. It had a similar chemical nature and acted similarly by being delivered directly into your bones. So it was also stated that not one of the workers' blood had come back entirely normal. They even got the girls who had been, like, they'd even tested the girls who'd only been working a few weeks. So, like, not even their blood was coming back normal. Um, They also specifically mentioned Marguerite and said that she was in serious condition and was this was a result of her working at the plant. Now, tell me, did that sound anything like... Pretty normal? Practically normal. Yeah. Okay. That's the report they got from the drinkers, but it wasn't actually from the drinkers because they sent the whole ass report over that was just like, here, we're just going to give you this little shortened down fucking bullshit version because we don't give a shit about our employees. And what is practically normal? I know. I mean, it's either normal or it's it's not not. normal. There's no in between. But no, it's practically. Mm hmm. All right. So right after all this goes down, Dr. Blum contacts the company and basically tries to reach out on, like, to their more human side. He essentially says this is not accusing anyone of anything, like he sure was, but he was trying. <laughs> trying to, to baby t- them a little right. bit. He was trying, he wasn't going to tell them he was going after them yet. I know you didn't do anything wrong. I'm not trying to accuse you, mm. But... But I'm accusing you. (laughs) So he tried to say, you know, Hazel's family was really struggling. If they could just help her out a little bit, it would mean a lot to the family. You know, like, we'll leave you alone. We just need a little bit of help compensating for some of those medical bills. 
or something to help them out just a little bit. But if he does that, then it's admitting guilt. Well, it's like you already know the end of this story. Okay. <laughs> My literal notes say, can you guess what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that he didn't help them. Yeah, no, did not help them. Didn't give a single fuck. That's, wow. Okay. Yep. And so by now... Hazel had literal pockets of fluid growing from her jaw. How could you not want to help somebody? And, like, if she worked at your company, you know these people, and you're still just like, meh, sorry, not gonna help you. And again, and when you think about it, they're, like, young girls. Right. Like, you have these literal teenagers working for you that are not okay, and you could give a shit less. You're just like, meh, they'll be fine. Like, even if I hear this happening to somebody that I don't know, I would still feel awful and be like, gosh, is there a way I can help? That's terrible. Yeah. No, they absolutely are, I mean, no morals whatsoever. There is just nothing there. Yeah. So speaking of Dr. Blum, his next patient was looking for a skilled dental surgeon after dealing with serious jaw issues at this and this patient is none other than Catherine Schwab. Uh, on one of her many visits, Dr. Blum was poking around where she was having the most problems, and he broke a pocket of pus open in her mouth. Oh, my God. <sighs> By the end of summer, Hazel got stuck in a three-month hospital stay with her husband having to mortgage their home to the literal brink to be able to afford bills. Dr. Blum noted that um, like the jaw necrosis to the American Dental Association. And he mentioned Hazel's case and had been like, that he'd been treating her for almost a year now. He called it, quote, radium jaw. And that's how the condition eventually got named. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like at this exact moment, but yeah, like yeah. he called it that uh-huh. just because he had no other name for it. Right. And that's how it eventually took on its name. Okay. So, you know, this is all because the assholes at the company refused to pay for Hazel's bill and the lack of humanity uh, basically sets Dr. Blum on a warpath, which, good for him. Yes. So, on Thanksgiving, Hazel was released from the hospital and she was allowed to go home. She was never the same after this, though. She lived the rest of her life in agony, unfortunately. At only 25, she passed away on December 9th, 1924 with her mom and husband right by her side. At the funeral, they wouldn't even allow anybody to see her because her body was in that rough of condition. Oh, my God. And they're all so freaking young. It's And it's really disturbing the more you think about how young they are. Yes. They're just babies. And how awful this is. They're literal babies just trying to work and be there for their families. And then they're being put in the ground because of it. Yeah. It's just, it's atrociously awful. Wiley is now outraged. She wrote to Dr. Alice Hamilton, who was the first female faculty member of the Harvard University, uh, which we talked about earlier, where Cecil works. So it's the exact same place that Cecil is working right now. Okay. So Wiley reaches out to Dr. Alice Hamilton, who's at the same exact place. Hamilton didn't know a damn thing about the drinker's report, but Wiley planted the seed in her brain. 
Hamilton is a very important character in this. She has also reached out to Dr. Frederick Hoffman, who was a... <sighs> okay, this is going to be good. I'm gonna need, I need your help with this word because this is the literal word I cannot say. Okay. It's the um word for stats, but it's like the person that does them. Statistician. Thank you. <laughs> so they were that at Prudential Insurance Company. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just in case anybody's wondering, I literally can't say um the word, the full word for stats, like statistics, that one, whatever. Statistics. That's the word. I actually cannot say that. We'll do flashcards later. Yeah, no, I mean, I've tried so many times, I just never get there. This, that word, I don't know what it is. I can say, there's no other word that I can't say. Well, sometimes I struggle with rivalry. But aside from that... Fun fact, Hannah can't say that word. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Not that anybody gives a shit, but it's okay. So, um, she planted the seed in his head and he also jumped into action. So in December of 1924, he visited Marguerite. After seeing her, he said she's walking the line of death and has really no future in healing. He then sent off a very strongly worded letter straight to the president of USRC. This summed up version of the letter is that he literally called them out and said if more cases are to arise, they will be paying compensation to those families and eventually or eventually and their company is not going to be able to escape liability. So he's he's trying, you know, people are trying here. They're they're starting to see this company fucking sucks. They're not caring. And people are starting to call him out a little bit. Good. So Marguerite used this as fuel. And she asked her family to help and was able to finally find a lawyer who would take her case on February 5th, 1925. The first suit was filed against the USRC for 75000 which would be about $1 million now. Wow. Absolutely deserved. Oh, yeah. Her case made like local news. Uh, keyword being only local. I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, no, it did not, unfortunately, reach, like, the other factory or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just local. So we're going to um jump to Ottawa. Radium Dial had heard about it, but the girls had not. So the company knew, of course... But the girls had no idea. That's very effective. So, well, right, because this side doesn't give a shit either. Yeah. Neither companies do. They they both just suck. So they had cooked up a master plan just in case things started getting out. These assholes started yet another dial painting factory that was a good distance away from the current one. And in a town that most likely hadn't heard a single thing from anyone about any of the girls. Oh, like in case theirs gets shut down uh-huh. and they've got a backup? Yep. Okay. That's exactly what they did. Hmm. And they figured, well, this way, if anything happens, we've got this town who is very off the grid, will not know anything about it, and we can just keep going with what we're doing. Okay, that's creative, but very disgusting. Right. Yeah, you got to give them that, right? Yeah, I guess. So they had both buildings running for nine months, but realized that... These, so to speak, rumors 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, rumors. Yep. Hadn't reached the girls. All those coincidences. Right. <laughs> so they ended up shutting down the second one, and they focused on the main company. So they realized, like, oh, the girls still don't know we're in the clear. Let's go ahead and shut down that second factory and just focus on the main one still. Okay. So they thought, you know, we're just, we're totally in the clear because none of these girls know. Months later, we're good. Let's keep killing them. In 1925, due to the cases in New Jersey, a government inspector came to check out the studio. Oh, God damn it. What is with these names? <laughs> His name was Swen uh, Kajar. We're going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> it's so many hard names in this one, you guys. Okay. Don't come for me. Sure. <laughs> Please don't. I'm going to. I'm going to write you a very strongly Strongly worded worded letter. (laughs) I knew where you were going with that. Yeah. (laughs) So he started in the office in Chicago and was ordered to keep it pretty quiet and casual so that the girls didn't start to get freaked out. He interviewed some lab workers and noted some had open wounds on their hands and fingers. Remember how I had kind of, like, brushed on it just a little bit? I said, like, earlier that the lab workers were the only ones that were being more safe. Yes. They were the actual only ones that had safeguards in place. So they had lead screens and vacations so that they could take a break from exposure. And they knew it was dangerous to handle without safeguards. No, 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 no. If it's perfectly safe for the girls then it should be should for be the, safe for, the, for them yeah exactly as well yeah so go in there dip your hands all up in it do what you gotta do go do it go put it in your mouth yeah i don't want you wearing any like suits or masks or gloves or anything just yep. take care of your business only ones that got safety precautions okay so from there he headed to ottawa and was told by the superintendent that she'd never heard of anything related to this work and any illnesses in fact, she knew many who benefited from it. Okay. Who it are just, they? <laughs> right. Doesn't this kind of just make you want to, like, punch everybody involved? Because you're all fucking idiots. Right. So, following that up with uh, claiming that the girls have been told not to lip point, but are doing it anyway, they're even provided with a cup of water to rinse the brush. I'm sure they are. Yeah, they are definitely and not. And they're not getting in trouble for wasting any of that either. Yeah, and then, like, sure as shit, suddenly, all of a sudden, all the girls had cups of waters at their station. Yeah, just when they, like, go in there and do inspections Isn't and stuff. Isn't that weird how that works? Yeah. Hmm. So, later on, when shown the picture from a different date, the cups were all missing. What? Isn't that crazy? They no longer needed them? Hmm. The girls didn't want them? I bet that's what it was. The girls refused to use that. They wanted to put the radium in their mouths. Oh, I'm absolutely sure that's probably what they said. Yes. Yeah. Because you're seeing how many people are like, oh, we told them not to lip point, but they do it anyway. Right. When they are blatantly going in there and telling the girls they need to fucking lip point. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Gah! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he went to an interview, or he went to interview three dentists in town, including one of the largest offices who had treated many women from the factories. That dentist told Swen that there was, quote, no evidence of malignant, of 
Yeah. Quote, no evidence of malignant disorder. So he's just more people blatantly denying it. This one doesn't even work for the company. He's just a dentist. And he's like, nah, nope, there's no evidence of this. Probably paid him off. That, that wouldn't be surprised, actually. So the other offices agreed. And only three short weeks after starting his investigation, it came to an end. His boss admitted this was because the expense to follow up was insane, even though Swen had decided right away that radium was dangerous. So, again, not even the company itself. Not either of them. But this is an entirely different branch, and they're just like, meh, well, you're just gonna let them continuously be tortured because we don't feel like paying the expenses. Of course they don't feel like paying the expenses. And it's just, it's ridiculous because it's a pattern here. Like, all the dentists, all the fucking people involved, everybody, like, well, not all of them, but, like, a majority of them, they're just like, well, this couldn't be part of it, and guess what? None of us want to do a follow-up because we don't want to have to pay for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the first lawsuit is happening, and Roeder's fighting back hard, along with company lawyers. He filed a motion to strike Marguerite's complaint. They were complaining that this case should have never been filed with them, but instead, the Workmen's Compensation Bureau... Oh my god, Bureau? Thank you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. I am having a night, okay? I'm just gonna guess all of your words. It's fine. Honest to God, when they, I don't, when they say pregnancy brain is, like, really bad, it's seriously really bad. Don't even start with No, me. I'm not even fucking with you. <laughs> like, it is really bad. Like, anybody who's experienced it is probably like, yes, and, like, their car or whatever they're doing right now. It is freaking bad. It is very frustrating. Huh. <sighs> okay. So, the reasoning... It wasn't one of those damn nine compensable diseases. So we're back to those ones in the beginning that the judge was like, oh, there's only nine of them. And as long as it's not part of that, we're not going to help you. So he didn't like the judge didn't want to be part of it at this point. Just uh, decided to let the jury make the decision, which is great because the jury is not educated on any of this. Sure. So it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Just, what do you even do in this situation, you know? Like, I can't imagine the frustration of these poor girls who are just trying to get somewhere. And I don't even know how you do go about educating them on this when it's not something that technically exists in the books. You know what I mean? Like, they don't even know that there's a real problem with radium. They just kind of think it is. So how do you tell that to a jury? Right, exactly. That's exactly the problem right there. Um, so during this, an investigating stat dude, that's what we're just going to go with. Awesome. (laughs) I love it. Dr. Hoffman sent letters to Rotor begging him to visit Marguerite or send somebody else to so they could see how bad she had gotten. But that would have been so or too much of a human thing to do. And nobody ever went to visit her. So he basically started his own mini investigation and sent questionnaires to any people in the medical field that had seen any of the women, held interviews with the women affected, and concluded that they all did the same work under the same conditions, and they were all having the same problems. Miss Wiley also sent letters questioning why she had never seen the drinker's report, because all they got was that little itsy-bitsy blurb saying that the blood work was practically normal. So Miss Wiley and Dr. Hamilton wrote to Roach to get him to request 
the drinker's report from Roder, but he replied that he had already seen it and cleared them. What they didn't know at the time was that the report that had actually got sent from the drinkers wasn't the real one. It had been fabricated to make it sound like everything was fine. So Hamilton actually wrote to Miss Wiley, thinking things were finally coming to an end. But Roder still wouldn't give permission to the drinkers to file the actual report, and they couldn't do so until he said they could. Wow, okay. <laughs> Do you want to rip your hair out yet? This is getting ridiculous. Well, <laughs> oh, we're way past you, that at this point. And it, and again, when I say that we we do a damn merry-go-round with it, yeah. it's I'm not kidding. It's like, we have a problem. No, we don't have a problem, but there could be a problem, but right. there's not a problem. And then there's those few people who latch on and are like, okay, something is very, very wrong. We need to do something about it. Yeah. And they try to do something about it. They send out all these reports. They're contacting higher-ups. And everybody just fucking shuts them down. Yes. Every single person just shuts them right down and then we're back to square one again. And it is a continuous cycle and it is just beyond infuriating. So Roder invites Hoffman out to the plant a few times to try to win him over. And Hoffman had noted that there wasn't enough signs warning against lip pointing. So on his last visit... Suddenly, there were more signs that said not to put the brushes in your mouth. Oh. And I guess that was enough for him because he claimed to be impressed by it. Yeah. They are following the rules. Look at that. And again, they're telling them to lip point. Mm -hmm. They're telling them. And then he's like, well, as long as there's signs up, I'm good with it. They're literally fucking telling them on the daily to lip point. I wonder what was going through the girls' minds at this point, because now they're they're being told, like, hey, you need a lip point, but when certain people are here, we don't lip point, right. and we're putting signs up that say, don't lip point, but you need to lip point. Exactly. But okay. also, they're telling them it's completely safe and it's beneficial. Right. So, I mean- So then what's the point of all of these signs right. if it's beneficial for you? Exactly. They had to have been questioning things. They were to an extent. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's like they just kept telling them like, oh, you're okay. Like, it's safe. This is beneficial to you. It's going to be good things. Like, and it just, it was so hard because again, they're young and they're like, okay, well, as long as my boss says it's safe. Yeah. You don't have as much life experience at that point. And like, I get it. If they were like continuously telling, it's it's like if they're telling you to like, you know, wear a hard hat constantly, but then, like, one day they put up signs that say, like, don't wear a hard hat. Or, like, they're telling you not to wear a hard hat constantly, and then one day all of a sudden it says wear a hard hat, but, like, they're like, oh, you can be at this one without a hard hat. Like, I'd probably, at a young age, be like, okay, cool. Well, as long sure. as they say it's good. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's confusing. It is. So, um... Yeah, he claimed to be impressed by it. Rotor is literally just getting people off his back at this point. By making these tiny little improvements or fixing small specific things, just enough to satisfy whoever it is questioning him. That's all his goal is at this point. He doesn't give a shit about the girls still. He's just like, well, I'll throw a sign here. I'll throw cups of water here. Whatever works to keep this person off my damn back. Okay. So the do the drinkers do find out about their report being falsified and they contact Rotor about it. But he comes up with yet another bullshit excuse and convinces Cecil that he will get the original report published ASAP. So the drinkers are like, okay, we get it. We'll listen to you. Like, go ahead and publish it. 
and they keep their word not to go above them and publish it for now. Okay. Like, okay, we'll 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 take our step back. We'll wait for you to publish it. We won't go above you and publish it. But just know we're watching. So by the end of April 1925, poor Marguerite is dealing with her head. Or, yeah, no, that's, okay, that's what that says. Yeah, so by the end of April 1925, poor Marguerite is dealing with her head literally rotting away. She had infected facial bones, which caused her to be really hard of hearing. Almost all her teeth had fallen out. She had a fractured lower jaw on one side of her face, and when she was admitted to the hospital in Orange, her pulse was barely readable, and, um... She was so anemic that she weighed 90 pounds. Oh, this is brutal. I mean, she I mean, she's literally rotting from the inside out at this point. Yeah. So, and, and can you imagine like they're still hanging on? Like the girls that are stuck in this position are still hanging on and it's just it's awful. And anemia is one of the hardest things for them. Like it really takes a lot of them down. She was talking to Hoffman and also Von Sakaki, who was previously an employee. We had talked about him in the beginning. Um, about a week after being admitted, Hoffman read his paper with his opinion that, quote, the women were slowly poisoned as a result of introducing into the system minute quantities of radioactive substance, which it was not minute, just saying. I, I didn't think I it was. Knew what, I know where he was going with it. Yeah. <laughs> So he uh, sent this to the American Medical Association. Up until this point, it was widely believed that it was safe due to only small amounts being used at a time. But Hoffman realized that it wasn't the amount, but the accumulation of all of it causing the issues. So when you're around it every single day or putting it in your mouth over and over your entire shift, yes, it is going to start building up and fast. He ended his paper with stating that the disease needed to be acknowledged under the workmen's compensation laws. He continued to publish his paper, and him and Von Sakaki continued to try to get word out about how dangerous working there was. Unfortunately, Marguerite's case was being drug out, and there was a chance that she was not going to survive until her trial. So after a completely unexpected death... It left a uh, make-or-break moment in the whole case because George L. Warren was riding on a trolley car when he suddenly collapsed and died right there. And his occupation was the county physician for Essex County, which included the area where multitudes of women were now getting sick. Obviously, he has to be replaced, and whoever takes that spot could be the missing piece to solve all of this or the one that... Blows it all off like the rest. Okay. <sighs> I wonder which one it's going to be. So, this role was taken over by Dr. Harrison Martland, who went by Mart or Marty and happened to be a Sherlock Holmes enthusiast. Well, guess what? Marty, a whole ass mystery has just been dropped into your lap. Whoa! Oh, snap! Marty! <laughs> So with that mystery being dropped in his lap, uh-huh, don't do it, don't do it, I'm gonna leave you hanging until the next episode. Okay, um, here's the thing. Uh-huh. So now I am starting to wonder about something, and I don't even know if you're gonna have an answer to this. Okay, shoot. However, so I've been thinking about, like, 
these girls, like, okay. uh, when they are, you know, having relations with other people. Yep. Is this radium going to be transferring and starting to harm them? Um, I do know that to an extent, like, some of the people that were um involved, well, not necessarily, like, around the people that had a bunch of it on them. Uh-huh were affected like a little bit but not necessarily as much as them because they weren't it's putting not it as much exposure right which and they were dousing in their mouths with it they weren't covering themselves with it and the thing is, is by the time they get home and they're doing stuff with other people or like hugging other people we're not like that's already absorbed into their skin well see you had mentioned in the first one that they were, like, taking some of the radium home and sprinkling it yes. on their phones and on different places. So if they're living with other people, they're going to be touching that yes. and getting it on them. Not in the same quantities. Correct. But it's still going to be there. And then also, then I started thinking, too, I was like, okay, so now it's all up in their mouths. You are you keep saying that that's, you know, the most, you know, because they're dipping it in there. Yeah. Okay, well, now you're kissing somebody. Right. And... You know, I don't know. It just sounds like no, it's going to so be transferring a lot. It would to an extent, yes, but not as bad. Sure. You know, like, especially because, like, these girls are literally every single day constantly just putting it in their mouth, putting it in their mouth, putting it in their mouth. Yeah. Putting it on their bodies, covered in dust. You know, it. it in smaller quantities, it's not going to build up as fast. Because you have to also remember... People were actually, like, drinking this in their drinking water. They had it in their lotions. They had it in their medical stuff. Like, it was all over the fucking place. Right. It wasn't just the girls that had it on them. It was all over. So, like, it would have affected people, like, little by little, but not anything anywhere near what the girls were experiencing. Okay. So... Hopefully that answered that. <laughs> no, it did. I, okay. I just kept thinking about like, oh my gosh, you know, you're you're like having sex with somebody else. And right. then all of a sudden now they're going to start having, you know, some issues, maybe not to the same extent, but it's like, oh goodness. I know. it's This is a really tangled web. It truthfully is. And it just gets more and more tangled as we go. It never, it never really stops. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay, well, I guess I'm going to go ahead and say the ending. Don't even. I saw your mouth getting ready to do it, and I'm going to take over from here. I was going to say, are you going to let me do it again? No, I am not. <laughs> You're cut off from that. Thank you. <laughs> well, fine. You're no fun just I because I forgot like half of it. Yeah, the most of it. Well, okay, in my defense, I'm literally just waiting for you to say, um, and I'm so focused on that that yeah. like... I guess I must not hear it fully. Okay. Clearly. And also the, like, Twitter X thing throws me off. It because throws I, me off. I had it semi-memorized before that, yeah. and then that came along, and now it's just... Yeah, I'm just waiting for him to turn it back into Twitter. I, it would be great. <laughs> it's throwing a lot of people off, I'm not going to lie. I know, as I'm listening to other podcasts, they're like, uh, I don't know what to call it now. And I'm like, we don't get tweets anymore, we get X's. <laughs> I think it's, like, it's still called tweets now. What? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I I could be wrong on this, but I read an article the other day that said that you're still tweeting How on X. How the fuck are you still tweeting if it's not Twitter? Because I don't think that Xing can, I don't know, maybe that didn't land. <laughs> We're probably going to get sued, but it's like, dumb, come on, dude. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, I'll let you do it. Fine, fine, fine. All right, so make sure to follow us on any of your podcast apps. Tell us the stories you want to hear. Like us on Facebook, X, Instagram. Leave us a five-star review. If you love us, tell your friends, tell your cats. Um, Bye. Bye.